Welcome to the third series of The Man Who Was Scared to Death. Once again, I meet people who work and spend time in the presence of death in order to help me come to terms with my eventual demise. It's kind of like free counselling. In this episode, I talk to Jenny Wylam, a midwife and death cafe host. From the cradle to the grave, as it were. Hello, I'm Jenny Wylam and I am a midwife by background and I teach midwifery um, and in my spare time I run a death cafe. Wow, Jenny, so we're sitting here in Suffolk Cathedral grounds. It's religion, I mean, well actually let's, fast, let's start with, the, with, with your occupation. How did you first get into midwifery? Um, it was something that always interested me, but I thought that when I was younger I'd have to be a nurse first and that did not appeal to me. It was after I had my first daughter, who is now 17, that I thought actually this is something that I'd really, really like to do. And I found out from them, speaking to the midwives, that I didn't have to be a nurse. So I, I started my training when she was 18 months old, so and I've done it since then. What particularly attracted you to nursing and obviously then midwifery it was supporting women mainly um, and over the years I've learned more and more about supporting women and and the ways in which women need support not just on a physical level but on a psychological level and sometimes you know even a spiritual level so when you started this role how old were you approximately and what had you done before then I was 26 when I started my training and before then I had worked as a civil servant just doing admin office management roles. Presumably that didn't fulfil you. Is it something, anything about like the tangible, like the humanity involved in midwifery that, that attracted to you? You know, something about obviously helping fellow humans and the whole birth part of our lives. Yeah, absolutely. To be able to support somebody through such an amazing process is it's a real privilege and I felt very grateful for the care that I had received and wanted to give something back to to women, you know, whether it was one woman, lots of women. Um, and now I sort of, that's why I wanted to go into teaching as well, because I can only change things for a certain caseload of women who I see. But if I'm teaching student midwives and I can teach them what I've learned, then I feel like I could be reaching more well we've both we've spoken about we both have have children and so obviously have gone through that the process of something not existing to suddenly existing what was it like for you when you did your first birth of someone well it's you know I just felt very very privileged to be in that position to I mean it's it's an amazing magical moment for a woman a birthing person a couple a family and to be an outsider in that situation but to be allowed is is very you know it's really important and it's such a privilege do you think it sort of changed your outlook on life that first time obviously you know you you must have had faults but you, you you gave birth before the first time so you'd already gone through that was there something more existential about seeing someone else going through that experience I don't think so not in the beginning I think it was sort of as I gained more experience and had been at more births and sometimes it's the trickier births where you've almost had to fight to have a, a healthy baby and also those births where unfortunately the baby you know is born uh, dead or um, is a miscarriage or or dies shortly after birth as well so it was it was those sorts of moments that made me think more about death 
um, in the context of my role as a midwife. So, you know, as we, we, we as you know, I'm, I'm pretty, well, terrified of the idea of it, like I'm sure a lot of people are, but obviously completely preoccupied with, with thinking about it. What was what did, what was your views on life before you went into the nursing midwifery role when you were just doing you know the more sort of well, how should we say uh, down to earth civil service role when I was a normal person <laughs> um, so I, I I was brought up by a very liberal single mother and grandmother who was again very liberal but but very forthright in her opinions and also standing up for her beliefs and making a difference in the world. And we could always talk about death openly at home. I'd gone through both my grandparents dying. I was there in the hospital when my granddad died. And I sort of almost took it for granted that I could talk about death in an open way. That's very, I mean, it's just very interesting to interrupt because I come from completely opposite, quite prosaic, suburban, um, you know, a family, two, two, two adults, two children, and I can't record time and even when I was going through this thing when I was from 12 you know thinking about it on a daily basis I would never occur to me that I could talk to my parents about it yeah well and it was my one of my best friends she her her she would like to talk about things like that with her mum and I remember one time that she was over at my house uh, and my mum was there and we were having a really open conversation I can't even remember what the the conversation was about but it was around sort of thinking about what you'd want when you're dying or how you'd like to die or or something like that and she just said oh god it's so nice to talk to somebody who doesn't just shut you down saying oh let's stop talking about all this morbid stuff and and, you know and it was at that point that I had the, the realization that not all families were as open as mine and and so that's that's always stuck at the back of my mind and so when I heard, first heard about death cafes back in probably 2018-19 it triggered that memory of that conversation and I thought you know that's something that I'd really really like to be involved in to give people the space and the opportunity to, to discuss death. Well let's get into the death cafe thing so separate to your, your full-time occupation uh, there's something in fact I've gone to a few something called death cafe which is, anyone can set one up as I, as I understand it's, it's not judgmental it's not about grieving it's just about people gathering in a, in a cafe or, or a bar to talk about death in their own way. Tell us about yours and, and how have you found it since you started it up so I run it with a friend of mine who's rather appropriately named Di <laughs> as in the Welsh name and it was just through a conversation towards the end of last year and I, I said oh I'd really like to do this and he said oh god so would I I've been meaning to so we, we thought right and urged each other on we do a wonderful little cafe it's a vegetarian vegan cafe down um, in Elephant and Castle called the Electric Elephant and the owner, uh, Louisa, always likes to get involved and sit in. And, and from the very first time we met, we've had... There are a couple of people who come to everyone. And the other times, it's a real mix of people. Some people have never had an opportunity and come to it like you, who are frightened of, of it and, and don't have anybody to talk to. Other people who... Uh, we've got a couple of people who are soul midwives, so it's like death doulas. And, and then just changeable sort of array of people who come. And, but generally the, um, the, the view afterwards and the feedback that we've got is that they feel really uplifted by coming and almost like they feel more alive when they're leaving than when they went in. So take us through an average, an average session. What kind of 
strategy? You know, do you split people into groups? What kind of conversations have you heard that you've that have really stood out for you? So our one is still thankfully quite small enough. We tend to have between eight and 12 people that we can still do it as a, as a single group discussion. I think if, if we had any more, we would need to split it into two groups. But we, we literally, it's, it's not directed, it's, it's, the, it's the group directs it, the different members do. So, so we introduce ourselves and say why we're there, why we decided to set up the Death, Death Cafe and then go round the group in a circle um, asking people's names and why they're there, basically. Out of interest, what is your introduction and why, why are you there? I, am the, I, I say that I've always want to provide a, a safe, safe space to talk about death, like I've just said to you. But also, as a midwife, a lot of people think, oh, you know, you're bringing life into the world and it's all joyous and everything. But sometimes it's, it's not. Sometimes you are helping people who lose people and and I, f- I almost feel like I have a really privileged position in that I'm sort of walking that line between life and death and you know trying to guide people either one way or the other if I can whichever way they're going that they have a good experience and and and, and they get through it basically. Which occupies your thoughts more, the, the starting bringing of life or the ending of life? Mm, that's a difficult one. I think they both are very, very important parts of life, of being a human. Um, obviously, you know, being born, as far as we know, we don't really have any recollection of it or, or sort of awareness of, of what's happening, but, but the mother and the, the, the parents, the birthing person, obviously do. So our focus is mainly on them, whereas in death it's about the, the dying person and also the family that, that surround them. And funnily enough, I'm working with some friends. It's um, so two people that I went to primary school with. My very best friend, who's the one who um, started, who gave me my realization that not everyone can talk about death, and uh, another friend. So, so the, my very good friend is a lecturer, a doctor of architecture and I've got another really good friend who is a professor of philosophy and they have got together and are doing a project about spaces of birth and death and it's about how the space that we occupy interacts with us as people as human beings and and can um, either aid or or you know not aid stop our our autonomy our um our feelings about death dying or giving birth birthing and this is sort of explained it's exploring lots of the same things that that you're talking about and it and they chose death at places of birth and death because they are similar big events it's funny you say that because clearly we do we're quite open about talking about you know having a baby or, or people being pregnant and then people giving birth in this magical magical time and but with death it seems to be just the reporting of it doesn't seem to me that we really talk about the whole process that openly is it something that you think or you have got to think would help us as a society by being more honest and open oh definitely and i think you said about birth being a magical process i think death can be a magical process as well and it's about not being afraid of it I think it's the fear I mean one of the people who comes to our sessions is a palliative care nurse 
and some of the language that we just use in care as well is oh he passed away or it's bereavement nobody says the d word um, and I think that can be really damaging to some people do you think then it's something that should be talked because I spoke to a GP as part of this recently and he's saying very very similar things to you know we we, we, we pussyfoot around the whole thing you know uh, and apparently a child in his class said oh my grandfather passed it's like no your grandfather died this is what death is by having that sort of open conversation from a young age is that something that you think would help us all be slightly more functioning human beings whenever the the topic comes up oh yeah definitely and i think one of the sayings that i really like is in the midst of life death death is all around and it is and death plays a massive part in all our lives depending on on our life journey it might hit us at different times but there will be a time when we you know somebody dies who's close to us and it will affect us and it will affect us either on a superficial level or a a much deeper level and this was sort of what we went off on one of these tangents I had one of the death cafes earlier this week and and this was was something that we we discussed about how how death impacts the living and and going forward and, and can define somebody's life. I suppose the difficulty I have, and probably one of the heart of the problems, is there's no explanation. Well, there, sorry, that's not the right word. There is an explanation behind death in that we're all living beings and you know we cease to be. But because there's an after with birth most times, and there's obviously not, depending on what you believe or what I believe with death, is there something stopping us because it, it's not going to affect us anymore? As you say, it affects the other people. I mean, that's a really difficult question to answer. I mean, I think... Yes, probably. Well, it's mainly because of fear. That's why people don't, because they're scared. Like you say, if they don't have a faith or a belief in what happens to them after they die, then they they can't even think about it. They don't want to think about it, because, um, like you've said, that when you were thinking about it all the time, you you were really suffering um, because of that fear. I mean, there's not we we can't take away the fear entirely we can't there's no answer to say this is what happens after you die but we can certainly you know try and reassure and 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 say look you'll probably either be completely oblivious (laughs) or you'll or you'll go off and, and do something else but I'm this then translates into your own personal beliefs and things like that but I certainly don't believe it's going to be suffering of any kind but so that leads into two questions and with your children you say you have two have you had conversations about death with them uh, with my older one yes with my younger one not so much you know if uh, probably that will come an opportunity will come when um, an, a, a pet dies or something like that at the moment she's quite like my mum's dog died a little while ago and she's like oh yeah Beatty's dead and he's like okay (laughs) yep (laughs) she hasn't there hasn't been any questions about where do you go when you die or anything like that but you know I'll certainly talk to her about it when there are the questions sorry so you so you talked about this growing up in a family where you could talk about it what what your earliest memories of 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 death and as in of you thinking about it and it and you know how did you what how did you look at death until you became a midwife I can't really remember yeah. um, I mean my grandfather died when I was about 13 14 and I, I think I never really thought about oh where has he gone I just I think I always had 
the feeling that he would either sort of be there in the ether somewhere or, or wherever he wants to be. I think, I mean, that's quite a good question because, I mean, my grandmother was um, incredibly spiritual. She practiced many faiths throughout her life and by the end she was Buddhist and so firmly be- believing in, in reincarnation. I mean, I think actually most of the faiths that she followed throughout her life were based on reincarnation or the, the principles of it and I think I just you know thought he's either floating around in the ether or he's being reincarnated but I was certainly never worried about where he was and was quite accepting that oh it was his time he had a bit of a rough time in hospital before he died and god at least at least he's he's not there anymore. Well, and your, what, your own existence, did that ever sort of cross your mind as a teenager or growing up? I don't think so. I think, well, in my case, sort of, and I think lots of other teenagers' minds, you sort of feel invincible uh, and like you're never going to die. Yeah, I never really, I've never been scared of dying. I've Again, I think it's because I think either you end up floating around like a ghost or you be re- you're reincarnated. So, And what will be, will be. And it's something that we don't have any control over. And, and I suppose that's another parallel with, with birth. It's a situation that, you know, the birthing person doesn't have control over their own body. They can certainly try to have control over it. But, but generally, if it's, if, you know, not a plantar cesarean section or something like that, but you just have to let things go and, and sort of surrender to, to what is coming. Wow. That's, well, it's actually, let's talk about reincarnation for a bit. I, I've often said, and I did say this in the deaf cafes that I went to, that the, it's the non-existence that really terrifies me. The idea that there is nothing, you know, in this whole, you say, floating around. In my mind, it's floating around in this star-spangled universe, but forever and ever. And you just can't ever get to the end because there is no end. That, and that starts the gut horror. Reincarnation, would, would I'd be very glad. You know, that would, I mean, that would, be, that would probably be the best the best um, method for me because you come back presumably you're not aware of what happened before and then we're having a conversation like this again yeah possibly or you know I could just completely debunk your <laughs> your theory and say what if you're re- reincarnated as something in some awful life somewhere so I think there are pros and cons to reincarnation because you can't always decide to come back into uh, a nice life it's yeah again I, I don't know quite what I believe believe that you know maybe i mean there are some sort of belief systems where you you keep being like buddhism you keep being reincarnated until you reach that higher state of being where where you've made all your mistakes and you've done it all perfectly a bit like groundhog day i suppose that you know that is probably the basis of what i believe perhaps and you certainly have enough people who can talk about past lives and there is in some cases where children you know start talking about their their mummy from their other mummy you know and and then you know there have been cases that have been um looked into and then they found these individuals that that the child was and there's no way that the child could have known any of the detail so i think there is evidence and that hasn't been refuted (laughs) but but yeah, I think that, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Well, I mean, I suppose, yeah, I haven't actually looked into that, you know, a, a lot 
is anecdotal obviously and a lot is faith-based you know you have to have faith and that's you know kind of whole tenet of religion isn't it you know unless you have faith you're not going to go to the place that is promised but reincarnation is for a boon for me is because it doesn't mean it's over uh, likewise ghosts you know uh, and if there was some opportunity to become a ghost i'd definitely sign up to it i'm not sure that's ever going to happen i was going to then move on to your, your own view you said when you were younger you didn't really think about it have you started thinking more and more about your own mortality since you became a midwife yes again it's not something that i'm afraid of i very much believe that I will go to somewhere that's okay, wherever it is, you know, maybe be, be reincarnated, I don't know. I certainly feel like, you know, I've talked a lot about my grandmother um, already, but I feel like she, there is a presence of her with me. And I feel like wherever she is, on whatever plane that is, I'm hoping to get up there, wherever it is, and hang out with her. It, you know, it may be for a little while and then you get reincarnated. It may be that you don't, or but what will be will be. Do you think having those, and obviously grandmother sounds very important to you, do you think by having those that feeling inside helps stave off that fear? Do you think you'd feel differently if you didn't have, or do you think you'd be just as accepting if it wasn't that? I think it definitely helps you know if you have faith a faith in something and I don't mean a faith with a capital F if you have a faith in something then you won't have fear so as you've gone through and now you say you teach midwifery what kind of people are going into it is it the same kind of people that you think you represent or is there like a massive wide variety of people oh there's a massive wide variety of people there's yeah people from all walks of life go into it. We get lots of 18-year-olds who have just come from doing A-levels. We get people who are more mature who have, you know, come to it later like I did after having children themselves. Um, and I think I think for a lot of people it can be a bit of a shock to the system to, to be involved in such a powerful moment. And I, you know, I don't think anyone, well, I'd be surprised if anyone you know, can be at a birth and not notice that it's uh, that there's something inherently magical. Well, I've been at one, and I can absolutely say that, yeah, absolutely magical, and probably helps me being the father. But one thing I know that this is, again, what keeps me kind of sane is that my son Jacob definitely didn't exist as I was growing up. I know that, I mean, unless somewhere he's hiding, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't there. And then suddenly snapped into existence. So my deranged philosophical thinking has always said, well, what's to say, you know, if you do pass, we won't snap into existence again. You know, if there was a start before that, there was nothing. So presumably there can't be nothing afterwards because that, well, it, it, it messes my mind, but somehow it gives me, it gives me some kind of faith Maybe that is my faith, that, that, that the logic says that maybe that, that you would have to snap back. As you um, move, through your, move through your life, do you, can you see your view of, of death and existence changing or do you think you've sort of reached that point where you're pretty happy with it? I think I've reached the point where I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah, and I, there are, I know lots of other like-minded people as well. And I'd say, I'm, you know, I'm always open to learning and changing my opinion if, if something pops up that, that makes me think twice or, you know, whether that be some hard evidence or whether it be just an experience but I think yeah I think I'm pretty happy 
That's what I'm looking for. There has to be a newspaper report somewhere. It'd be a small story on page 13 saying life changed, death avoided. I mean, let's talk immortality. You know, is that something, a concept that interests you in the slightest? No, I think maybe it'd be nice to live for a little bit longer, but as long as you've got your health, I mean, you wouldn't want to be like a vegetable or, or, or unable to live your life to the full, I suppose, if, if you're sort of 200 years old, you don't want to be living it from a bed. So, but I think it could get very tiring and frustrating because you'll just watch human beings making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Well, you say that it's the concept of existence you, you don't mind in that you, you think there is something afterwards. What about the whole process? That's something that's reoccurred in a lot of chats I had. Far more people are worried about how they die than the fact they die. Yes, and that's something that I've sort of challenged people on sometimes at the death cafe who say that they're scared of, of, of dying, of, of death. And then when you actually pick at what they're trying to say, and it, it, it's actually more that they're scared of the process of dying, of losing all power, you know, being at the, the will and whim of, of doctors and nurses or carers and, you know, not having any say in anything or being in a lot of pain. And that feeds back into that, the project, The Spaces of Death. It's, it's all about how can we keep autonomy um, because a, a lot of a lot of the distress that's caused is because people lose their their autonomy, they lose control. I mean, they're already losing control because they're dying. Um, they may lose their continence. They may, you know, lose their ability to to walk and and move around. Particularly if it's a quite prolonged death through something like cancer. And if we take their their sort of mental autonomy, their choice away as well, then surely that's what makes us human, having that autonomy. Is there a better way, you think? I mean, if in your mind, what would be, how much autonomy does, does one person want? I know that ideally, in my own autonomy, I'd be putting my hand up for more medicine, but the GP I spoke to, you know, he also works with malpractice suits and he thinks that a lot of the reason that doctors cede to what the family want is because they don't want to be seen not to be doing everything to keep people alive and genuinely he was saying you know we do keep people alive for too long is that is that a view you can you can agree with I do agree with that I think and it's really really difficult because obviously you've got lots of different opinions at play for example if it's if it's one person and there's five people in the family around them they will all have different opinions on 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 what would be best for that person. Um, I think more needs to be, the dying person needs to be given more control in that situation and asked what they want. And, and then we come into sort of ground assisted dying and, and stuff like that, which I think should be offered to people. I mean, obviously there, are, you can understand why it's, it's not legal because there are ways that it could be used. You know, people could be coerced or however, I think that's one of the big choices that people lose because if they were able-bodied they may well be able to take steps to end their own life whereas if they're not they have to ask somebody else to help them and then you get into the whole sort of legal wrangling and of that person being under scrutiny after after the death. So interesting because you, obviously you deal as you say with, with birth to death. In my mind birth we have no choice we can get well, not yanked. Well, we do get kind of yanked out at heart. You know, so it's interesting to me that you think that people, when you're dying, should have should have that choice. I suppose 
that's the innate difference between life and death. Yes, I mean, if you asked a baby if they wanted to stay inside, they might well say yes, but that's going to kill the mother. So that's an impossibility, really. We can't For somebody dying, you can't say, oh, well, if I let you die, it's going to kill somebody else as well. So I think we, I think we can wipe the slate clean with that one. <laughs> oh, I like the idea. So let's finish then with, with, with your own existence. Sounds like you're, you've, you've had a good one, you're happy. Have you ever thought about the way you would want to shuffle off this mortal coil? I have, but I don't really know. I suppose I'd like to have a good innings and be fairly old. I'd prefer a... Um, I'd prefer not to have a slow decline into not being able to do anything for myself. So, so, so maybe a bit of a short illness, go quite quickly in my 90s after I've been very active. 90s is quite ambitious though, isn't it? Is that way above the, le- the minimum, the minimum, the average age? <laughs> the minimum age for death. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it must be in the 80s now. I think it? it might be 82 by now. Yeah, okay. Um, You're aiming for 90. Yeah. Reach for the stars. <laughs> One of the people I interviewed actually wanted to be snipered. They thought that'd be the best way they'd never see it coming. Yes, I mean, that is something. But then you might always live your life in fear, thinking God is today going to be the day that I'm going to be snipered. 